welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast about the MBL1 East competition for 2023. My name is Jacinta from the Central Coast Crusaders and with me is Lockie France, who is from the Sutherland Sharks, but it sounds like you had some time on the bench this weekend, Lockie. No games to commentate. Absolutely zero games to commentate. Uh, Obviously no Sutherland home games. Didn't get the call up for Comets, but I'll be back with Avengers next week. Oh, that sounds really good. What have you got next weekend? I've got the Comets home doubleheader Saturday, Sunday. So all you Comets fans, looking forward to bringing you those games. Sounds like you'll be making up for lost time then, whereas myself, I'll be at the Asia Cup held at a Sydney Olympic Park, which kicked off today. Uh, the semi-final on the Saturday the 1st and the grand final on the Sunday the 2nd of July. So um, no NBL one East for me next week. I, th- I think Asia Cup is, is a pretty good excuse. Yes, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. Uh, if people know me well enough, they'll know that I've made a sound decision. So we've just finished off round 14 of the NBL One East competition and the clock is ticking and the road to finals is getting shorter and shorter. Um, what did you think of the round, Lockie? Well, I was tasked with the men this week and I tell you what, the number of close games and close games that were crucial for the winning and losing teams as well. We had a couple of close, close to, if not buzzer beaters, um, you know, teams winning in upsets, really threw a cat amongst the pigeons. And there's now a real fracturing of the top eight. They skipped away after all our talk about it being so close. A couple of the right teams won and the wrong teams lost. And suddenly there's a bit of safety for the top eight. Yeah, I think so. Uh, one in particular being that Aubrey Wodonga Bankstown Bruins men's game where the Bruins snatched a win on the road. Um, I am kind of got a bit of a question mark whether that's going to hurt the Bandits in the long run. Well, they've got a tough uh, weekend coming up. They've got Norths and Comets this coming weekend. So it's one of those weekends where it could be, you know, snatch two wins against finals teams, maybe the wins you don't expect, or you lose both and you're suddenly almost out of finals contention. But uh, what about on the women's side? Yeah, the women's side was pretty interesting as well, actually. Um, uh, from memory, there was some pretty good games. Uh, I think, you know, the COE and the Comets game was hotly contended. Um, it was really great for Hills Hornets to get another win under their belt, their third win for the season, as they beat uh, Penrith Panthers away. Um, and another close game between the Canberra Nationals and the North Bears, but Speaking of results, Lockie, how about you take us through the full results for the men's round for 14? More than happy to, Squin. So we uh, started things off with uh, Hornsby taking on Manly, and it was Manly coming away with the 71-65 win at Hornsby. Canberra welcomed the North Bears to Belconnen, and it was Canberra getting a huge 83-74 win over Norths, who were significantly undermanned as uh, Coach Angus Burke mentioned last week on on this very podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, Squin, Bankstown went down to Albury and got a win against the Bandits, 92-87. Sutherland got a 92-80 win on the road at Illawarra, uh, picking up the Freeway Cup in the process. 
Maitland with an 82-81 win in a thriller over the Central Coast Crusaders. Hills picking up a 95-57 win over Penrith in the uh, Western Derby. I believe that was also the KO game of the week. Newcastle, Ryan Beastie, well, he'll never have to pay for a beer in Newcastle again after his performance against the Inner West Bulls, getting an 82-80 win on the road. And then on Sunday, it was Comets just edging out the Central Coast Crusaders as Isaac Ayubi got the last second basket to get Comets the 85-83 win. So if we turn to the ladder, it's a center of excellence still steaming ahead. They're 19-1. and They've uh, cemented a top two spot now. Inner West, 13-3. and three. Uh, Almost could have come back to the pack, but with Norse losing as well, they dropped to 12-4, and four, which allowed Sutherland at 12-5 and five to really catch up. Canberra just behind them at 11-6. and six. And then Maitland, Hills, and Newcastle all sitting at 10-6, and six, uh, all really close on percentage, and Hills must have the head-to-head on someone because they're being listed as above Newcastle at the moment, despite having an inferior percentage. But we'll see how how that all comes out in the wash. And then the final three teams in the chase for finals, Allrimwodonga 8-9, Illawarra 7-9, and and Comets 7-9. But it is really last chance saloon for all three of those teams. Uh, There just aren't enough games left for them to not rely on other teams losing at this stage. So... The top eight, all very happy with where things stand right now. Yeah, and you mentioned that percentage between Maitland Hills and Newcastle, who are at six sevenths and eights respectively. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast in the last couple of weeks, just because the movement from fifth to eighth is, has been so um, productive, I guess you could say. Uh, and talking about the percentages splitting them, uh, Maitland are on 107.6%. Hills are on 107.10.10, so that's 0.5 separating them. But like you said, Hills must have a split because Newcastle Falcons, while they're eighth, they actually have a better percentage than Hills. So we'd probably have to go back and have a look as to who they've got the split over. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure who Hills have got the split over. Uh, do they have the split over Maitland? I'm not sure. It could be a yes. They've beaten Maitland, and they've beat yeah. So they've got this. They've beaten Newcastle and Maitland. So I imagine it would come down to a three-team head-to-head, and I'm pretty sure yeah. Newcastle might have lost to Maitland as well on that same weekend that their women Maitland women beat Newcastle. Can't remember that far back, but I would say yes. Hills definitely have the split at least over Newcastle at this stage. So three-way split at this stage. I. I would be surprised to see it remain a three-way split. It would take a, a remarkable run of results for them all to finish on the same. Never know. And at this stage, Maitland and Hills look to be in the box seat among those three. Yeah, that's right. And just looking ahead for um, the next round, just really quickly for the men's, just to see what we can expect or um, start to predict if there's going to be a little bit of a break between those three teams. Next round, as we said, Newcastle have Comets, uh, Maitland have Sutherland Sharks and Manly, um, so they should get at least one from two in that in that uh, respect. 
Hills have oh, Central Coast. Oh, Hills have Crusaders. I should know that by now. Yes. Um, and, then, and then Newcastle play Norths on the Sunday. Oh, okay. So next round, Maitland have a double header between Sutherland Sharks and um, they've also got uh, Manly. And Newcastle have Comets and North, so that's tough. And Hills have Crusaders. And interestingly, Newcastle and Albury Wodonga play the same two opponents this week. So Newcastle, Comets on Saturday, North on Sunday. And the Albury Wodonga, Albury Wodonga play Comets on the Sunday. And Norths on the Saturday. Wow. And considering their place eighth and ninth, like that is like make it more exciting for us. You can't write this stuff as a script. Exactly. So yeah, by the end of the weekend, Newcastle could have put a massive gap between themselves and ninth and tenth, or they could be right back in the pack. If you know, if it goes Newcastle two and zero, Albury zero and two, or maybe it goes Albury two and zero and Newcastle zero and two. Anything could happen, and it's. So, so exciting. Very exciting. Well, uh, over to the women's competition, which I was uh, responsible for this week. Uh, kicked off with Aubrey Wodonga Bandits against Bankstown and Aubrey winning 90-60. to 60. Hornsby Karingai played Manly wearing a Seagulls and Manly noticeably rested a lot of their main players, uh, Alex Delaney and Kim Hodge. Uh, still winning though 111 to 52, so it was a good opportunity for some of their youngsters to step up. Um, Illawarra Hawks hosted Sutherland Sharks and they lost 58 to 101. Maitland Mustangs 77, Crusaders 67, which was oh, a real seesaw of a match. Penrith Panthers hosted Hills Hornets and lost 58 to 66, so well done to the Hornets for their third win of the season. Inner West Bulls hosted Newcastle Falcons and lost 55-87. to 87. Canberra Nationals hosted the Norse Bears and lost 80-94. to 94. Sydney Comets hosted the COE in a makeup game on that Saturday the 24th and they lost 77-103. to 103. Actually, that wasn't the makeup game, was it? Was that a scheduled game? That's the scheduled game. The makeup game is this coming Thursday. That's right. So Sydney Comets, 77-103 COE in a game at Alexandria. And the final game of the weekend was Hills Hornets hosting COE in the Hornets' nest and they lost 37-96. to So heaps of wins on the road, actually, now I think about it. Um, pretty much all, all games were won on the road this week for the women's comp except for the Albury-Wodonga-Bankstown game. I think that's actually there's now more away wins than home wins for the season after this weekend in the women's comp. Wow, that's so unexpected. I bet that doesn't happen very often. Oh, actually, it is now 74 away wins to 59 home wins in the women's comp. Wow, that's really, really unprecedented, isn't it? That is, yeah, that is a massive, massive number. Um, so heading to the women's ladder looks like this. We've still got Manly Warringah in first position with 15 and 2. Newcastle Falcons in second position with 14 and 2. Uh, North Bears in third position with 13 and 3. Sydney Comets in fourth with 11 and 4. Centre of Excellence with, in fifth with 15 and 6, but they have played 21 games in total, um, whereas the next is highest uh, amount of games played is 17. 
Sutherland Sharks are in sixth with 12 and 5 record. Maitland Mustangs in seventh with 10 and 6. And Aubrey Wodonga Bandits in eighth with 9 and 7. So Canberra Nationals are in ninth with 8 and 9. And Bankstown Bruins are in 10th with 7 and 9. Bankstown have Illawarra away, but Canberra Nationals have Manly. So that's going to be a strong test for them. Um, but Lockie, do you really see this top eight in the women's comp shifting very much until finals? Can I answer this next week? No. Um, yes, just, no, um, just this weekend with Aubrey Wodonga, Comets North, but Comets will have no Shyla Heel because she is playing for the Opals. Um could be just such a massive weekend for them. Uh, if they can jaggle in against North and then also take advantage of a understrength Comets team and you know suddenly shoot to 11 and 7, um, it could pretty much lock, um, you know, lock Canberra and Bankstown out, particularly if Maitland can just, you know, Maitland, they've just got to jag a couple more. They're not even, they're really not that far away from uh, securing a spot, but they do have a tough run home. Just Maitland picking up that win over Comets just really shifted things uh, in their favour. On the balance of things, I'd like to retract any and all predictions I previously made and say it's probably going to be Maitland and Aubrey Wodonga. But if somehow Comets can uh, absorb the loss of Shyla Hill and knock off Aubrey Wodonga, um, you know, maybe Canberra and are back in it and base down, they're probably not quite as big a chance, but they're still there and hanging around. Yeah, never say never. That is correct. Um, so that was the results for round 14 of NBL 1 East 2023. Uh, now, as we said earlier, Lockie, you were tasked with covering some of the men's games this round. Um, tell me about the games that you got to watch. Well... Was rare that I actually got to watch a game live this season because I've been watching live streams after I get home from commentary or from wherever else I've been. But I actually, I sat down and I watched the uh, Canberra North game, uh, which first of all, thank you to the Canberra commentators for their shout out. They uh, mentioned these got game by name. They uh, loved our interview with Angus Burke, so thanks for listening, guys. Very interesting game because North, as we know, no Brennan Reimer, no Junior Madut, also no Mikey Jung this weekend. Uh, so we're running low on ball handlers already. Mike, no Mikey Jung either. And then uh, no Nickel Peters and no Cam Pender for Canberra. If you remember, Cam Pender dropped 22 points, nine rebounds, and had a couple of assists, maybe more than a couple of assists last week. He was just out. Uh, the commentator said he was just crook. Made things interesting having so many players out. And it was especially fun to watch given we'd interviewed Angus the previous week and he talked about the Norse Bears got us here, the Norse Bears are going to keep us going. And it never looks as good when you don't have a primary ball handler, like you don't have Brennan Reimer or you don't have Mikey Young in there. But they still look like reasonably cohesive throughout the game. You know, they still look like they have pretty good chemistry because they've got guys like Golding in there who, you know, keep, keep things together. Of course, Lewis Holy, Angus mentioned, he's going to keep everybody, you know, locked in. Guys come off the bench like, Lucas Morgan had a big game. He had 18 in the end. Uh, they did it with eight players, um, and they were right in it. This game, the stats will say the game belonged to Glenn Morrison with his 28 points and 13 rebounds. If you ask me, it was all about the Duke of Double Doubles, Pietro Badalassi. If uh, 
the Italian national team needs someone to replace uh, Paolo Banchero, give him a call. He was absolutely electric early. He finished with 16 points, four rebounds, five assists, four steals, and a block. I think 14 of those points came in the first quarter. Two, maybe three of the steals as well. He was just locked in at both ends. He is He's the captain, and for good reason, because he set them on their way. Canberra are up 26-10 to 10 after just six minutes. Uh, Angus were called a timeout. Norse got an 8-0 run after that, but that start from Canberra really set them up because the rest of the game was... Scoring was completely different. It was a 59-point first quarter, 35-24, and then no other quarter had more than 36 points combined, and they were all two-point margins. So Canberra won the uh, fourth quarter by two points, and Norse won the second and third by two points. Uh, interesting uh, watching Norse defend Dal Feig, just, uh, just letting him shoot. Uh, commentators were saying he was 2 of 27 for the season coming into the game from three-point range. I think he hit two of his first three. He did finish two of eight, so probably a right decision to, um, you know, let him shoot. But uh, sometimes sometimes the scout says let a guy shoot and, you know, it's the one night where he actually knocks a couple down early and sets the team on their way. Also notice with Dolphie, he wasn't really attacking the rack as, um, as, as we're used to, you know. You know, getting in, pulling it out. I don't know, maybe he's... I mean, we know he's been in and out with injury. Maybe he's not quite there. Um, not what we're used to seeing from him, but hopefully he gets back to our full strength in in the coming weeks because uh, Cameron would love to have a full strength Dalfee getting to the basket. Of course, we can't talk about Canberra Norse without talking about the battle between uh, Glenn Morrison and, on this occasion, for the most part, uh, Nate Musters. And uh, a little bit of Lewis Holy as well. Nate Must is probably one of the few players in the league that Glenn Morrison can't just bully literally out of the way. E- even if you bump Nate Musters, he's not going to go very far. Um, there's a lot of players out there. Morrison just goes straight through. And it was a really good battle because it forced Glenn to shoot a couple of fadeaways. And he definitely wasn't, especially in the early stages, wasn't getting to the basket, like right close, those really close range finishes as often as he'd want. But eventually uh, he just won out. Uh, it was just one of those things where in the last five minutes, he's just like, I am going to start bullying people and it is going to work. <laughs> eventually it did work because he finished with 28, and thir- 28 points, 13 rebounds. Only a couple of assists for both Morrison and Musters. It was a case of they'd be passing out of the, out of the post and it'd be the second last pass before a shot. You know, you'd, kick, you'd throw it out to the wing, guy kick it to the corner, shot, doesn't get the assist. Or teammate would just miss the shot. So definitely good at recognizing the defense and kicking out when the, you know, position, you know, suggests it's the better idea. Once again, it comes back to Badalassi because the first five minutes were electric on defense for Canberra. Final two or three minutes were just as intense. I don't know what happened for the middle... 32, 33 minutes where the game just sort of stayed close but meandered along. But Norths were getting close. I think they got it down to a one-point game, possibly even tied it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it got back to 73-71 with three minutes to play. Yeah, the captain, Battalassi, just was like, we're doing this, boys. So Morrison at one end, Battalassi getting the team fired up. 
James Tui doing a little bit of everything. And eventually Norse, that lack of a primary ball handler, kind of, it did hurt him a bit down the stretch. I can't help but think like, even we know Ryan is out, but even if Mikey Young was there just to provide a little bit of something and give them even just an extra player to work with as well. Because, uh, I mean, Robbie Moore, 20 points, five, five assists. Uh, they only had 14 assists on their 29 made field goals. Canberra only 16 on 33 as well. So neither team getting a huge number of assists. But yeah, I think when you're when you're in that tight game, the opposition's ratcheting things up. It's it's nice to just have someone that's that everyone is used to bringing the ball up and playing, you know, that point guard role. Uh, but full credit to Norse too for getting it done. Well, not getting it done, but getting down there and making a contest of it when they're so shorthanded. Uh, and that's just going to have to be what they keep doing. Um, not sure if what's up with Mikey, if he's out for a short time. Hopefully it's just for the week. But for Canberra, massive win. Gives them a chance at a top four spot and they still do play Sutherland. So they can even still get the split on a team that they're only one win behind now as well. Yeah, wow, Sutherland next. So you were just speaking about a great matchup between Morrison and Musters. And so when Canberra Nationals play Sutherland Sharks next round, we get to see that great matchup between Morrison and Gerlach again. Um, and you you will remember very well the last time these two teams played earlier in the season, it went down to the wire again. It was uh, down to a controversial uh, charge call, was it not? Uh, yes, uh, I believe we even put a poll up on Instagram about it. It was we that did. controversial. Yes, the uh, yes, the Markwell Beasley uh, taking uh, going straight through Glenn Morrison's chest, wasn't it? And uh, it was Brenda Bella Beacon stepping up when his team needed them the most. If it's not yes, him, so often. yes, that Morrison Gerlach battle will be uh, very very interesting indeed, and I'm sure the Sharks will be out for revenge. But they'll have to go down to Belconnen if they want to get it, because and it's not going to be easy. Doing things in front, doing it in front of that uh, Canberra crowd on the road, never, never easy. Definitely not, and it, it's a chance for the Sharks to return the favour with another road win. Um, really interesting. I'm glad that you gave the Canberra commentators a shout out because when you text me saying that they named the podcast and referenced our interview with Angus that I was so stoked um so yeah thanks again guys for listening thanks to Angus for that really great interview as well um and something that Angus uh, mentioned in that interview was how because he's got such limited time for team training he doesn't do team shooting he wants to focus on uh fine-tuning their team concepts like defensive rotation and Angus actually reached out to us a few days to go to say that he's had a lot of conversations with coaches over social media about his decision around not having team shooting at their team practice. Um, but look, looking at the analytics from the game, the Norse Bears ended the game shooting at 51%. So for a team that was depleted in numbers and stars and who doesn't do a lot of team shooting at practice, that's a pretty good percentage. Yeah, oh, that's 50, 51% from two-point range. Oh, sorry, from two-point range, yes. But um, still 41% field goal percentage is only just shy of what Canberra put up with their 44%. Um, you know, you have someone like Jung or someone like that getting to the rack or Junior Madut, if he comes back, getting to the rack, they're probably going to be putting up numbers at a lot higher percentage than guys who have, you know, have to step up and were doing it admirably, but you know, not probably not doing it at the same clip as those 
those other guys. So that sounded like a really entertaining game. Well done to the Gunners, certainly uh, making a strong case for top eight, even top four, as you mentioned. And then, Lockie, what was the second game for the men's competition you watched this round? Well, I was I was in the mood to listen to some absolutely beautiful voices, so I watched the Inner West Boys against Newcastle with our friends Matt McQuaid and Mookie Shirali on the call. The dulcet tones coming through accompanying some excellent basketball in an absolute thriller of a game that finished 82-80 to Newcastle. So the Falcons on the road at the at the Bull Ring? Is that what they are? Yes, it was Inouye's, yeah, Inouye's going down to Newcastle 80-82. And interestingly, um, they've now got uh, Jimmy McCann is starting for Inner West. So Kalen Bayer had been the starter for much of the season, but recently uh, yeah, it's been Jimmy into the starting lineup for Inner West. Just, uh, I think, just trying to balance out um, the rotations off the bench. It, it has been something I've, I've heard people say is, do you really want to throw your best five out there straight up? Or do you want to have someone who can come in and inject something off the bench if the starting five doesn't go 100% right? So... Uh, Danny Kim may be uh, leaning a little bit to uh, that idea, but it worked well because uh, Inner West came out firing and Jimmy was a big part of it. He knocked down an early shot. Um, I think what we, what I got out of this game was that as long as Miles Cherry and Ryan Beastie are both firing, Newcastle have enough supporting role players who do their job well to beat anyone on their day. Cherry will go against anyone in the paint. We saw it in this game against uh, Chris Bryant. And Beastie, does the man know how to make a bad decision? Everything he does just seems to be the right move. I mean, he had three turnovers, but I won't hold that against him because he had five assists and four steals and three blocks along with his 28 points and 11 rebounds. Really think that as long as, yeah, those two are on court doing well because... They can literally beat anybody. Uh, they just have to get it done on the day. And when you're playing, when you're playing straight knockout finals, that is a scary proposition for opponents. In a West, uh, Chris Bryant uh, only had six points through the first three quarters, which was uh, pretty low for him. Uh, finished with 16 and 10 as he came alive in the latter stages. But as always, his rim protection is probably worth the points he wasn't scoring. Uh, Cherry made it tough for him. But uh, he made it pretty tough for Miles Cherry as well. So the uh, the two big men going going at each other. Uh, Cherry finished with eighteen and eight and four blocks. CB sixteen and ten, an assist to steal and three blocks. So I think there were the thir- there were thirteen blocks in the game, and Cherry and Bryant accounted for over half of them. So certainly a fun fun game to watch. Uh, just fun watching those two do their work in the paint. Uh, speaking of inner west. Blake Morrow, apart from the uh, scary moment where he uh, had a bit of a stinger on his elbow but came back in. I think everyone uh, holds their breath when the import goes down, especially because Blake's had those, uh, I think it's a back troubles he's had earlier in the season. So Yeah, I think it was the Illawarra game where he hurt himself. Yeah, so think- yeah, he had that, that stinger on his elbow and he had the entire stadium he held his breath. He got it done. Uh, threes weren't quite falling for him, just two of eight. Uh, but just... And nine of twenty-five overall. Just like his way, he recognizes um, getting a bit three-point happy. He'll realize that he's got to 
you know, he'll he'll start going to the rack, change up what's going on, especially if it's not working. Because team teams get like that a bit. They'll keep going to the well well after it's run dry, or in some cases when there was no water in the well to start with. You know, team, teams will bomb away from three when there's just no reason to, or they'll drive to the rack against opposition where it's just not going to work for them. And I think Blake Blake Morrow does a really good job of you know just. Somehow being a steadying influence, but also an excitement machine when he needs to be. But it really was, especially in the third quarter, a game of runs. It went from Newcastle leading by almost double figures back to Inner West being right there, tying. I think almost tying it up. Newcastle getting back to out by eight. And then at the start of the fourth, Inner West took the lead, 9-2 run or something of that caliber, but very close to that because they did grab the lead, and yes, so yes, Newcastle didn't actually score for the first three and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. And after having an eight-point lead, it was gone before they even scored, before uh, Ryan Beastie got an and-one against Alex Higgins' teacher, restored the advantage. But it was so close all the way down the stretch. Uh, Higgins' teacher, CB, both turning it up. Newcastle... Beastie just continuing to be Ryan Beastie. Anthony Gaines and Reed Nottage chipping in where they need to. And then one of the most exciting endings we will see to a game all season. I don't just mean the final play. I mean the final 30 seconds or so because Jaden Goodwin was out on the break and missed the layup with the Inner West defense fast approaching. Inner West went straight back down the other. So they were down three at the time. I went straight back down the other end, found Tony Tolovai. Tolovai buried it to tie the game after Jaden Goodwin could have put it away with 13 seconds to play. He just knows ball so well because one of the, I think it was Mookie, said, will we see Ryan Beastie getting this off a curl cut out of the timeout play? And what happens? Ryan Beastie, curl cut. Ryan Beastie, hook shot, 82-80. Out of the tie. So there's still two seconds left. Inner West timeout, advance the ball. Tolovai in the corner. Tolovai, three-pointer in the corner. Who gets the block? Ryan Beastie. Yeah, he did everything this game. His entire stat line was 28 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, four steals, three blocks. He shot at an overall percentage of 59%, and that included six from 10 from the three-point line. He He had the game of his life. and. He really went into beast mode. Um, uh, he 100% did. I'm so psyched to commentate on him this weekend. When I do my All-Star 5 each week, I'll write down players and I'll put question marks next to just about everyone unless someone goes off for like ridiculous amount. I'll just be you know, XY from this game, question mark. Oh, no, not with this game from Beastie. I just put Beastie in. He was a pleasure to watch. He was a pleasure to watch most weekends, but he was a pleasure to watch for all game. No one was going to come close to that stat line, I don't think, this round. Like, that was ridiculous. No, not not with all the extra stats that he got. No, not at all. And considering no. that they were playing the team coming second, those, that stat line is like what you'd expect from the best player in a high school basketball team playing <laughs> the team coming second last. That is 100% correct. Yeah, that, they were probably the team in the most danger of, you know, slipping back because they were playing Inner West and Aubrey Wodonga were playing Bankstown. But Bankstown getting that upset win over Albury, Wodonga, and Newcastle getting what is probably considered an upset win over Inner West, just absolutely massive. And now 
they can look ahead to next week and more big matches to come. Looking at the analytical stats, points from the bench was pretty close, points in the paint was close, and looking at the box score, things like the rebound count that was close. The assist count was a bit higher for the Newcastle Falcons. And what's really interesting is Newcastle had seven more turnovers than Inner West. Um, so you'd think perhaps Inner West would have had opportunity to take, you know, some advantage of that. But second chance points was only nine to four in favour of Inner West points and points from turnovers was eight to ten. So that seven extra turnovers for Newcastle didn't end up having a factor for the game. That's right, yeah. I mean, yeah, they lost the offensive rebound count massively and, and the turnover count and still came away with the win because, I mean, they shot 44% from the field. In a West shot 36% from the field and they hit 40% of their threes and in a West hit 25%. So it doesn't matter sometimes how good all your other stats are. If the sphere is not going through the toroid, you're not going to win the game. No, that's really what it came down to was just field goal percentage. And, you know, Inner West even got to the free throw line 27 times mm. and they were still shot a pretty healthy 74%, 20 from 27. Mm-hmm. Newcastle got there only 19. Like, yeah, you would think on paper this was all Inner West, but that shooting, mm. it all just came down to shooting percentage. Mm. It be interesting to see if this uh, second loss to Newcastle is going to make any impact on Inner West. However, they have been pretty firmly placed second for quite a number of weeks now. So, Yes, but they still do have two games against North to Inner West, which... Oh, they still have two whole... Yeah, that's right. They still have two whole games against North. Even though they have, you know, less numbers and small uh, less personnel, they're still very competitive as we saw against Canberra. Anything can happen. Could be Nathan Muster's time to shine against Inner West depending so, on personnel, and he'd be a great matchup against Chris Bryant. 100%. Could be very, very fun indeed. I, I know Sutherland will be very happy that those teams are now both have dropped games because uh, now one of them's guaranteed, at least one of them will finish on five losses, which is what Sutherland currently have. Yeah, so uh, we'll be keeping a very close eye on all of those results, as I'm sure our listeners will be as well. But, yeah, thanks for recapping some of those games for the men's rounds, Lockie. Uh, as we know, I had the women's um, competition to cover this week. I did cover two teams that we did cover last week, being Comets and Maitland. However, I feel like these games were also pretty important leading up to finals. So that's why I covered the Comets COE game and I also covered the Maitland Mustangs and Crusaders game. And Comets, as we mentioned earlier, without Shyla Hill because she is on national duties with the Opals. I'm going to split it up essentially into offense and defense, what worked for each team and what probably were some points of improvement for each team as well during the game. So starting with the host team, the Comets, Offensively, they played a lot of um, horn sets, which were set really high. And given that the Alexandria main court is not the same size as a regulation court, which for old old people like me is fantastic because it's less running. But when you have someone like that's an absolute offensive weapon, like Vanessa Panousis, who probably needs the extra space to create some more plays off something like a horn set, it can be to the detriment uh, of that star play and probably the whole offense uh, for the team in general. So the horn set was set really high to the point where sometimes they were at risk of a cross-court violation. Probably, to be fair, 
What made this more difficult for the Comets to execute a high horn set was that the COE guarded the horn set really, really well. So even though the horn set was probably still set about, you know, a good step out off the elbow, probably more between the elbow and the three-point line or straddling the three-point line, uh, COE managed to guard it so well that they actually pushed that part of the play even further out. Um, And that continued to be quite handy for the COE, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But otherwise on offense, you know, if Panousis wasn't involved, there wasn't a lot going on. So everything ran through Panousis, whether she was trying to create something off the dribble, whether she was trying to find uh, a nice little elbow jumper for herself. Because of uh, the great half-court man-to-man defense that COE played for most of the game, uh, the Comets would find themselves either shooting too early in the offense or too late. So it got to a point where there was lots of one-pass shot. So Panousas would manage to find an opening, um, kick it out, and it would be a three-point attempt. And that worked initially where Piper Anderson was hitting a lot of threes, especially in the first quarter. She had quite a solid game actually, um, especially in the first half. But then on the flip side, because of the really good defense from the COE, a lot of the offense then turned into a shot too late. They spent a lot of the shot clock um, trying to get some kind of option going or the ball was in someone's hands a little bit too long and then they just kind of had to put up a shot that wasn't ideal. But uh, especially in the third quarter when Panusa started to have a bit more time on the bench, uh, it just kind of all really fell apart for Comets offensively. You could get a sense of panic uh, because things started to get quite disorganised and they didn't have anyone to step up and be a leader um, on court when they really needed it. So um, that's probably where it started to go a bit awry for the Comets. And interestingly, there wasn't a timeout called to try and get the troops organised. Really good things, though, for Comets was um, they were able to exploit parts of the COE transition D at times, and their running game was uh, probably their their saving grace. So there were periods where Comets were able to get the ball up a lot quicker. Second line of rotation in defensive transition for COE was lapsing and Comets were either getting layups or getting to the free throw line. So they managed to get to the free throw line 20 times altogether in that game. And Jada Crawshaw, she really just kind of put tried to put the team on her back in, uh, in the second half especially. She really wasn't willing to go home with the L uh, so she did a really good job of being aggressive and getting on the rack. Understandably, she was very well challenged by the likes of Jada Clark in one-to-one defense, but she didn't let that deter her from uh, not trying to be a scorer. In terms of their defense, when um, Drew Tolea uh, Foa was off, there wasn't really a great matchup for Isla Juffermans. Um, but unfortunately, Drew only played 16 minutes for the game. So Juffermans could really just do what she liked. She just ran basket to basket most of the game, as Juffermans is really good at doing. She was in the right positions on penetrations for a dish or for an offensive rebound. So, yeah, there, was, there wasn't really anyone that could really match her size and skill set and strength. Comets started to press after some free throws, but they only did that a couple of times. It would have been good if they did that a little bit more. Um, But in the second quarter, they really upped the defensive intensity, the Comets, and this was also in their favour. So you could see that they were guarding the ball a lot heavier. They were increasing their lane, lane pressure. And what was really interesting is that in that quarter when they started to increase their defensive intensity, 
It was the COE's worst shooting quarter at 36%. They ended up with 10 steals overall, the Comets, for the games. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes they missed a lot of loose balls. So the second chance points for COE was um, a lot higher. But I just feel like that glimpse for the comments where they started to run the ball a little bit more, getting layups and free throws and defensively increasing intensity. And the COE obviously had their turn to panic with only shooting 36% in the quarter. I would have liked to have seen those two things probably harnessed in a little bit more for the comments. Um, on the plus side, though, Lockie, Hannah Griffith got some court time at the end and she balled out. I think she had 11 points in 11 minutes. So it was really nice to see her uh, getting some court time. But she perhaps will will need to, over time or in the offseason, just start to improve her man-to-man defense. Um, but for COE, uh, like I said, offensively, Juffman's just being the great textbook center that she is, running basket to basket, being in the right spots at the right time. It was interesting that they changed their point guards a lot during the game, which I thought was a really great idea by Coach Herbert. So they changed point guards between uh, Saffron Shields, Sienna Harvey and Monique Bobongi. And um, the two-man game between Shields and Juffermans, oh, man, that was amazing. Like for two New South Wales country kids, you can tell that they've been playing together closely for a long time, even though they're from different junior clubs. But uh, they're, they've already got this great chemistry that takes years to develop. Um, I really hope that they continue to play for the national teams together in years to come because, yeah, they, they've got some telepathy skills, those two. Uh, and I have to give a shout-out to Lara Somfai, who's one of the new COE scholarship holders. She's already re- making a really great impact on the league. A couple of people have messaged me already saying, you know, to keep her, your eyes on her for the future because she's already so good and she's the only way is up for her. She had 19 points and eight rebounds in just 19 minutes in this game. She's very versatile at both ends of the floor. You can tell she's a real student of the game as well. Um, but for me, it was Saffron Shields. Wow, she that was probably one of the best games I've seen of Saffron Shields for a while. Uh, she ended up with 21 points, seven rebounds, five assists, four steals and a block, and she shot at 69% overall. Um, and only one turnover. So, yeah, I thought that was probably one of the best games I've seen of hers. Defensively, uh, COE, like I said, great job guarding the horn set. They were blitzing on all the pick and rolls, and that also pushed the ball handler well away from the basket in the same way that they were guarding that horn set. And they were just, like, tenacious on the rebounds. I think the rebound count was 54 to 31 in COE's favour including 18 offensive rebounds. So, yeah, a lot of their second-chance points probably came from missed loose balls and um, a lot of uh, missed rebounds and offensive rebounds as well. They ended up with 15 second-chance points and 60 points in in the paint for COE out of their 103. Um, But I think what they need to tidy up is probably just um, developing those other point guards, which will happen over time. But I think also some um, D-trans, uh, deep in the D-trans, it sounds it looks like the COE probably can tighten up for next time. But otherwise, I also have to give a good shout-out to the, the commentators on the night. It was a lot more entertaining and engaging than it has been in the past for watching some Comets games. Um, but, yeah, otherwise it was quite an arm wrestle of a game for the first half. And then the, the COE just kind of ran away with it. 
um, that third quarter, two-point percentage was 64%, three-point percentage was 38%. Um, and then fourth quarter, their two-point percentage was 82%. So it really just fell away um, to the COE. But otherwise, a good test for the Comets with how they need to adjust without Charlotte Hill um, and a good opportunity for the likes of Piper Anderson and um, Alexandra K. Roos and especially Jada Crawshaw to uh, step up and develop their game in that sense as well. Jada ended the game with 24 points and six rebounds and three steals, and she shot quite well as well. Overall, she shot at 53%, so um, she should be pretty stoked with her efforts. Yeah, I feel like um, COE probably stinging a bit from last week's you know, losses to Manly and North. Um, let me just double-check the fixture to see if they even play next round. Uh, so that their last game is this makeup game uh, against yeah. Comets uh, on Thursday, and then that's their regular season done. If they win on Thursday night, they'll have the most wins of any team at that point because they'd they'd move to sixteen and six. So everyone would know where the bar is set from that stage. Um, and so the other game I decided to cover was Maitland Crusaders, and this one when we did our finals forecast episode was a fifty fifty. Um, I was really confident that the Crusaders could pinch the win against Mustangs this round. And they did come very, very close. They only lost to 10. Yeah, so the final score being 77 to 67 in favour of the Mustangs. And the first, I will give another shout out to the commentary. It was really, really good commentary. The great balance of uh, play-by-play commentary that was entertaining and engaging. And it was also a great balance of um, special comments. So good, big shout out to the guys that were on uh, on Saturday night. Um, they worked really well together and the special comments were really insightful. Made my job reviewing this game a lot easier. So thanks for that as well. Uh, and also a shout out to the Mustangs court uh, announcer because I could hear in the background when Shakira Riley would like hit a three, he would say, you know, Shakira Riley in the court announcer way that people do. But then you'd also chucking a Shakira, Shakira, just like a Shakira song. So I loved that. I loved that from Maitland. Um, and the fact we could hear it in the background of the broadcast was even better. So good on the Mustangs, putting on their touches on those games. But look, I'll start with the home team, the Mustangs, uh, their offense. They had a lot, a um, bit of high, low action between Hunter and Washington. Um, and they were really good scoring options because both of them like to take some jumpers from the elbow. Um, it gave Washington some more opportunities to take on the likes of Nicole Hutchins and Casey Quigley on the drive who can't match Washington's foot speed. However, I feel like they definitely could have used this scoring option a lot more. But the way that it was happening, it, it, was, that it was really, really good. Uh, Maitland only had 11 turnovers for this game, which I was quite impressed with. And they won the offensive rebounds 14 to 9. So that was obviously thanks to the likes of Washington and Hunter. But otherwise, in terms of the nitty-gritty of what they ran when, I couldn't tell you. Um, I'm sure they knew. Uh, outside of anything of the high-low action for Hunter or Washington, couldn't really tell you what they were running. Um, I'm not too sure if in the half court they're just in man-to-man, um, if they just stick to the look to run first and then fall back into a, a motion in the half court. Um, so I don't really have any other notes on their offense other than that. Their field goal percentage was 44% uh, 
uh, overall, which is pretty good. Um, Three-point attempts, though, probably lacking a little bit, only five from 23, which gives a 22% overall from three-point land when you round it up. And their second chance points was 16 uh, second chance points out of the 77, which was pretty big, especially the time uh, of game that these kinds of hustle plays happened. So, yeah, the Crusaders certainly got out-hustled. Um, on the offensive boards and getting after the scraps. And it certainly worked in the Mustangs' favour. Um, they were either getting layups or getting to the free throw line on those occasions too. On defence, it looks like they were blitzing all pick and rolls as well, so really forcing Jazz Forkadilla to make some pretty tricky decisions. Defence on the up court started quite high uh, in the third quarter, but then they started to give away quite a few cheap fouls in that third quarter as well and that kind of led to the Crusaders having a nine-point run and got the game within three. I think outside of Shaq and perhaps Sydney, the Mustangs overall probably need to improve on their ability of guarding the ball because uh, there were lots of times when there were one-on-one situations with Forkadilla and Rowe. Like there was like Danica Rowe, we know she can do it to anyone, but she essentially could go coast to coast and no one's going to stop her or guard the ball. To their credit, though, when I, as I mentioned, their cheap fouls in the third quarter led to Crew having that nine-point run. Um, but the Mustangs were very quick to shut that down. They were able to ad- adapt to that really, really quickly and shift the momentum back into their favour. And that was all thanks to Sydney Hunter. She just started to hustle a little bit more and do those little things like getting in the passing lane, getting on all the loose balls, getting on offensive rebounds, and that very quickly help the Mustangs uh, regain their dominance in this game. As for the Crusaders, they were coached by uh, Lossalini Katia again. Oh, so she's lost her undefeated record. She has. She has. Oh, Linny. <laughs> Poor Linny. Um, but, and Linny being a, a centre in the past herself, she had a strong focus on the inside game. Uh, implemented against the Mustangs. And it worked for the most part really well. Everyone was looking inside for the likes of Hutch, whether it meant that she could get a great deep catch and put back under pressure or even just using her um, in the ball rotations. There were lots of times, like the Crusaders are always at their best when they rotate the ball quickly, when they get the ball inside, outside and changing sides, whether that's through penetration or going through their post player. And when they started to do that consistently, that's when they started to make their comeback. But then it very quickly fell away from that because sometimes people would hold on to the ball for a little bit too long. Um, And instead of sticking to what was working, it would kind of stuck back into old habits. Um, But there was plenty more opportunity for the Crusaders to have exploit some more um, transition buckets, but I'm not too sure why they didn't run. Uh, And then when it came to the crunch in the fourth quarter, they missed a lot of layups and a lot of bunnies on the inside. And I feel like if they made at least, I reckon they would have missed about six. And even if they had made four of those six, I mean, Maitland would have been really under pressure. Then it could have been a, a whole different game. And on the defensive end, they played some zone a little bit in the second and third quarter, which had some pretty decent effect. Uh, even though Maitland were able to score time to time, it just slowed down their scoring and it made them second guess what they were doing. So it just kind of stalled uh, the offense for Maitland. I feel like they probably could have done that a, a tiny bit more. Defensive hustle and boxing out was not the Crusaders' forte this game. You know, any Crusaders fans that hear this should know by now that 
boxing out club-wide is not our forte. It is something that we really, really need to improve on. And especially in this game when I feel like that was certainly the edge for the Mustangs. You know, still 36 points in the paint, 16 second chance points, 14 offensive rebounds for Mustangs. And that all just came down to hustle and boxing out. But it was a seesaw of a game. You couldn't really tell at any time which way it was going to go until probably the third quarter where I feel like Sydney Hunter just kind of took the reins and got control of the game. The the last quarter was 18 to 19 in favour of the Mustangs. Um, It was just that first quarter that really let Crusaders down. They lost uh, 16 to 8. I don't think there's a lot of games where the Crusaders women, when they have a slow start, um, they're able to really like come back and win. But it was definitely theirs for the taking. But yeah, Mustangs, you know, got the job done in the end. Another crucial win. I feel like the uh, close losses are becoming a Central Coast theme for both the men's and women's sides, unfortunately. Oh, especially the men. Those two very close losses this weekend to Maitland and Comets. Oh, I felt for them. I really felt for them. Winning basket by the Comets. You know, that Isaac was heavily guarded by Luke Cassidy. Are you, when you watch it a second time, you watch Luke Cassidy's face instead of the Comets' face. And he's just devastated. I don't. I do not blame him in the sliders. About uh, news and gossip time, Lockie. Have you got some news and gossip for me? Alex Tui. How good? I was shocked, surprised, gagged. All of the all of the exclamations when I saw that news on Twitter that Alex Tui decommitted from Gonzaga to join the Sydney Kings. Which also sends Chocolates to NBL1 East because he could now be here for finals. Yes, and that was also my thought. Never mind that I'm a Sydney Kings fan. I was like, great, we've got Tui. <laughs> but also, Tui's going to be here for finals. How good. Very, very good. Good news for the league. Good for the Next Stars program. Yeah. Sucks for Gonzaga, but... There's lots of talk about... Uh, whether going to college is going to give Alex Tui better draft prospects versus uh, using the next stars pathway, give or take, in my opinion. I don't honestly know about the next stars program versus college and NBA draft prospects. I think half of the NBA draft prospects talk online is just kind of like fluff anyway. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about where players were expected to go before they chose Next Stars over college compared to where they ended up. I don't know. I, I don't think Ryan Rupert was meant to fall to 43, but he did. But there's been talk that, you know, he wanted to be in a specific place in Portland. Um, so maybe that's why some teams left him. And I don't know how many players in the past have been higher than were expected because they came to the Next Stars program. It's not it's not my forte. I'm just no. happy that we've got him for a few, couple more months in the NBL One East, and then we'll get him for the Kings as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure his family are happy to have him home a little bit longer too. And it, Alex, if you want to stick around and play for the Gunners next season, that'd be cool as well. Yeah, that's... Uh... Got a big question mark over it, but that's something I could probably only address perhaps in the off-season. Um, the only other news is that Talia Tupaya from the Penrith Panthers, she started this season quite strong in NBL 1 East, then unfortunately had to take some time off due to injury. But she's made it back in time to represent New Zealand at the FIBA Women's Asia Cup held in Sydney this week. And she played today against Korea, today being... Monday the 26th, 
She played against Korea. Uh, she played 24 minutes, which is really great. I mean, 24 minutes in NBL 1 East versus 24 minutes at a fever comp is light years apart. So it's great to see that she's back on court and healthy to play 24 minutes at fever level. So, yeah, congratulations to her. I'm sure Penrith are missing her, but it's really, really nice to see Talia um, back on the world stage. And I think once she's done at Asia Cup, she's off to the New Zealand League. So um, Penrith fans are really going to be missing her. Yeah, that's right. And she's the reigning MVP of the of that new New Zealand League. That only yeah. started uh, – it was a reformed professional women's league in New Zealand that only started last year. Um Everything from the graphic design to the planning and the execution was so professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I'm told, the player salaries are competitive with NBA, the best NBL1 salaries. So what's really handy is people can come and make some money NBL1, make more money uh, playing in that New Zealand league that's actually a substantially shorter league. I think it's only like six, nine weeks um, and then still come back in time to fulfill their WNBL contracts. I mean, just look like they got, didn't they get Kiara Leslie as one of the imports this season? Um, you know, she's been in the WNBA. They got Kennedy Leonard last season, or is it maybe even this season? Um, you know, she's played in the British Basketball League. Um, Florencia Chagas, uh, who was in the WNBA draft pick, played in Europe. So, you know, they're certainly getting, uh, yeah, some good players. Yeah, absolutely. And only in its second year, they're getting attracting great players, which is a reflection on the league, I think, as well. Um, so it's just going to go strength to strength. And who wouldn't want to be in New Zealand being paid to play basketball going into spring? Sounds like a pretty sweet gig to me. Yeah, we got to get us a commentary gig down there. I'm going to start <laughs> asking some people. <laughs> um, otherwise, from news and gossip, you know what time it is now, Lockie. All star five. Correct. Would you like to start us off with your men's All-Star 5? And I imagine you would have had quite a task ahead of you. It was so difficult. Um, actually, three of my All-Star 5 actually did it in losing efforts this week because you can say they didn't get it done in crunch time, but that's it. their teams wouldn't have been in crunch time if not for these performances. Just uh, quoting, I think it was uh, Jeff Van Gundy in winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks there. So we'll start it off with uh, Sharif Saipaya from Hornsby. Uh, dropped 32 points, five rebounds, three assists, a steal, and a block against Manly Warringah in a 71-65 loss. And then we had two players from the Bankstown Aubrey Wodonga game, Jameer Coleman and Mike Parks, both putting up big games for the Bandits. But I went with Jameer and his 30 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, four steals, and two blocks as Bankstown fell to a narrow 92-87 defeat. And much of that win for Bankstown was off the back of Hayden Blankley's 32 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, and a steal as Bankstown got the upset. Then, of course, I mentioned him earlier, 28 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, four steals, three blocks. You already know it's Ryan Beastie. Getting Newcastle the 82-80 win over Inner West. And then finally, it's your boy Squin, Aaron Redhead from the Central Coast, had 21 points, eight rebounds, an assist, and four steals in a narrow 82-81 loss to Maitland. And then 34 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, and two blocks against Comets in an 83-85 loss. But yes, there were players like 
Glenn Morrison for Canberra. Uh, Archie Woodhill had a big performance for Comets. Uh, there were others out there. Will Cranston-Leon and Matt Gray both putting it together for Maitland. Uh, but there's only five spots on the court. So those are the five we went with. Yeah, shout out to the big ginge, Aaron Redhead from the Crusaders. Uh, he had, I think, last round off, um, I suspect, injury or illness because there was a bit of illness going around the team again. But, yeah, back in great form. Really great to see him leading the Crusaders. So my All-Star 5 was also quite difficult to narrow down. There were lots of people that had big numbers in terms of double-doubles and just, you know, big points in general. So Sari Mowbray having 29 points, Eliza Fabro having 30 points, Maddie Norris having 24, 13 and 5, Michaela Domkins having 21 and 16. So I was starting to find a trend of who to put in based on those numbers but then I also saw a trend of players this round who were doing really a bit of everything and that made my decision a lot easier so while they didn't score the most amount of points they certainly were the most effective by doing a bit of everything so starting off my uh all-star five is Nicole Munger who had another triple-double. I'm pretty sure it's her second triple-double of the season. But when I talked to her earlier today, she wasn't aware that she got a triple-double against the Inner West Bulls this round. Uh, And she believes it's her second triple-double of her whole career. So she was very happy to be informed that she got a triple-double against Inner West. So she ended with 18 points, 14 rebounds and 10 assists. Uh, Then it was Michaela Pivik from Aubrey Wodonga Bandits. She had 32 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists and five steals. Seven assists. Now, come on, give the girl three more assists because that would have been a monster triple-double, the best triple-double in the East. Um, But uh, still very, very great, good stat line. Then Saffron Shields from COE, I've also put in my all-star five. Um, 21 points, seven rebounds, five assists, four steals, shooting at 69% overall. Such a classy game for Saffron. Uh, she would definitely be wearing an Opals jersey in years to come. And then I also put Jazz Forkadilla in there. No bias, but also someone that was trying to stuff the stat sheet this week. She had 21 points, seven rebounds, four assists and three steals uh, against Maitland Mustangs. And then finally, I had Mallory Bates, also from Albury Wodonga Bandits. She had 18 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, three steals, four blocks at 67% shooting overall. So really everyone doing a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm not sure what they're having as their pregame meal. Uh, Are they having energy drinks? Are they having a coffee? I don't know what's going on, but they were all balling this week. Those are some stat lines. That is certainly for sure. Yeah, and going back to Ryan Beastie's stat line, I went on the NBL One show today and said that his stat line is longer than the queue to get a croissant at Loon Croissants. <laughs> um, I thought that was appropriate considering the show's based in Melbourne. <laughs> but anyway, it was another big week for the East. Lockie, thank you kindly for joining me for this part of the program. We're going to take a quick break before our special guest arrives. And we are back with a very special guest. She has she is a WNBL champion. She played against Brianna Stewart in college. She's played NBL One North. She's a Comets junior, but you know her now as Manly Warringah star Alex Delaney. 
<laughs> Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm um, really excited to be on the podcast and, um, yeah, looking forward to, to um, having a chat. Great. Well, and also, it was recently your birthday. So happy birthday. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I'm so old. Oh, my God. I'm feeling it. <laughs> Did you do anything special? Uh, a few things. Went out to dinner with the family. Um, my, my actual birthday was on state of origin night. So it was a bit sad on, on that night, but, um, then I had a celebration with a few work friends on Friday and then went to lunch with, um, with all the manly girls on Sunday, which was really beautiful. So yeah, full week of, of celebrations. That's for sure. Yes. There is nothing but pictures of manly people in double bay on my Instagram feed at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) We got out of the bubble. You should be proud of us, Lockie. We left Manly. <laughs> well, congratulations there. <laughs> and speaking of getting out of Manly, you played for Manly last season, but this year your beloved Comets returned to the competition. Did you have any thoughts of heading back to Comets to play this season? Yeah, I I, I very much did. I think, and I tell this to the Manly girls as well, I'm, I'm a Comets girl through and through and so this year was the first time I've actually ever played against Comets and walking into what I believe to be my home stadium um, when you're not the home team I was so confused I was like oh they've they've switched up the benches on on who's the home and away team when I walked in because I literally thought I was the home team um, so it was it was really it was actually a really difficult game <laughs> to play against um to play against comments. But yeah, I did. I um I absolutely love the the club and it's such a great club. I have so many great memories, great friends um that I've had from being a Comets junior and I'm so proud to be a Comets junior. We had a lot of success. Um but I think, and and I and I had very good intentions. I was I had a few training sessions with, with the girls, and I obviously love Shelley. She's a great coach. Um, but I really love playing at Manly. I think we've got such a great group of girls, um, great coaching staff, great club um, that have they you know they've done a lot of work and and hard work to to be to be where we are and um yeah just such a great culture and so I think um there's no one else I'd rather be playing for at the moment it's it's such a great club and you made semi-finals last year um was there a kind of a feeling if you want to get the band back together run it back go go a couple of steps better oh absolutely I I was um Everyone close to me knows this, but I was very devastated after that loss in our semi-final. I I made my sister and I drive home in complete silence all the way from Castle Hill. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely a bit of bit of fire in the belly this year. I think we were all very, very came back very hungry. We're all very committed um, to this season and knowing we have we had more to prove. But um, but yeah, I think the 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 main thing is about this group of girls is um, we're all. I mean, I'm old now, but the majority of us are super young. And uh, so I think it's it's so great that we haven't had, you know, there, there's there's a good pipeline there and the juniors that come through and the younger girls continually to get better. And so I think that's a massive reason as to what, what makes us such a great team this year. And, of course, you came, you, you're back in Sydney after, of course, that brilliant college career you had and then you played WNBL and you've been up in North. What's it like being back playing in, I guess, last time you were here, it was Waratah League and now yeah. you're on East. Oh, I absolutely love I, Sydney's home. I'm literally obsessed with Sydney. I think it's the greatest, 
um, place in the world. But yeah, it's so great to be playing at home. I mean, playing with my sister is pretty special. Um, I think, you know, you always want to be able to play in front of your, your friends and family. And I get to do that um, each week, which is awesome. Obviously, mum's the coach and, and dad coaches the youth league. So it's very much a family affair. And it's so special. But playing getting the opportunity to play around the world and around Australia is incredible but there's no place like playing playing at home in front of your loved ones can I ask really quick how um your time in NBL one east has compared to your season in NBL one north yeah NBL one north league is such a tough league I think that you you travel quite a fair bit you have triple headers um the the North League, you know, you you often get a few more WNBL players in the league, um, which is which is also so great. And and I have nothing but respect for the North League. It was I, I played uh, two seasons in the in the North League. Um, but in saying that, the the NBL One East League is is it's becoming its own. It's getting better each year. Um, we're starting to attract more talent, which which is awesome. And um, yeah, it's 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 a great league to play in there's um lots of opportunity in in the league and and i think we're only going to get we're only going to get more competitive and and better and like having lauren jackson in the league last year was was massive and and so i think it's really putting the um the new south wales league on the map and not just new players but you also have a new coach this season yeah so uh, what are some of the changes that uh, Coach Kerwin's implemented uh, compared to last season? Yeah, it's so great. Um, Nate's Nate's a great coach. He's you know he's been around the been around the team for a while. He's very close to basketball. He's you know been in a New South Wales representative. He's coached at a super high level, so he brings that level of um, professionalism definitely to to our team. Everyone uh, has a, a great respect. For, for Nate and he's done a phenomenal job of keeping us on uh, on the path that we we finished last season well really um so yeah it's great job at, at, at building the the momentum and and holding ourselves accountable uh even when we're winning by uh you know 20 30 points he's continually to stay on us and continually to get better and um really um making trainings competitive so uh, definitely level of professionalism that um, that's been so great for for the for the girls this year. Is there anything specific he changed, especially on your offensive end? Because just comparing last season to this season, relatively similar squad, same high caliber of talent. Um, but I feel like this season you're making the most of your scoring power this time. Yeah. So did he implement anything really different or special to bring that out of the group? Not, not nothing super special. In, in all seriousness, I think we've definitely, as a team, we're we're playing. Remember last season, I was we were still had a pretty bit of a new vibe. Like Bree and I obviously hadn't played the season before, so there was a lot of different elements that were still, I guess, being put together. And I think that was so key for us in preseason and definitely um, uh, pushing the fact that if we are all a threat to score, that we're going to be really good. I think the ball probably moves through hands a little bit better this year. I think Fliss is doing an, an incredible job of leading our team. She's been so, so uh, critical and, and vital to the success of our team. She's an, a phenomenal point guard and she sees the court really well. So I think building the trust between, you know, 
her and our players and and then Kim and I can really just be facilitators as well and not have to, you know, be so relied on to score. I think when we're at our best, we all are scoring in double figures. Um, Brie has been has stepped up this year. She's um, playing and, and being a massive role on our team. And now it's like we have Zoe coming off the bench. We have Josie coming off the bench. We have Sari and Maya coming off the bench. Who Everyone on our team is a threat and everyone can score. And... Um, so I think everyone on this team knows their role. Um, Annie does such a great job for us defensively. And I think that's what makes us a great team is we're all very unselfish. We we, we want to win for each other. And so we've just built, I think, a really great culture this year. And, and, and Nate's done a really great job of, you know, everyone can be a scorer, everyone can be a threat. And um, yeah, it's it's been, it's such a fun game to play when everyone's scoring and everyone can get around their teammates and and it's it's really fun to play with these girls. Is that something that the club is trying to build as a whole? Because I noticed that in the youth league team as well and Manly's youth league team has been ridiculously good for a long time. But yeah. despite, despite having players that could just go off for 40 on any one day in youth league, they don't. They all, yeah. it's always team ball. I think that's something that Manly has always done a great job of. It starts in the junior, starts at under 12 level, being that really unselfish player and helping your teammates be better. I think that's definitely the culture of the, the culture of the club. Um, in terms of the, the youth league team, yeah, I think the, the key thing, and it comes back to everyone's good. Like we don't have to rely on certain people to score because everyone's worked on their game. Everyone's putting in the extra yards. Everyone's done all the hard work to be able to score and and be a threat offensively. So I think it starts starts um, starts in the juniors and it's definitely carried through to the senior program as well. Your team is sitting pretty atop the table. You had a, had a recent loss to uh, Central Coast. So what does the team need to uh what does the team need to improve on for the rest of the season to make sure there are no further slip ups in the uh, quest for a championship? Yeah, it's actually my um my college coach who I'm, I still stay really close with. He messaged me a couple of weeks ago and he said when you're winning, your biggest opponent is yourselves. And I think that's completely the case for us. Our biggest com- opponent right now is ourselves and making sure we're holding ourselves accountable at training and during the games of being the best every single play of the game, every single quarter, every single game. So I think that's our challenge right now. Um, in terms of what we we need to work on, I, I don't think, funnily enough, I was having this conversation the other day, I actually don't think every single one of us has had their best game on the same game. And it's part of what makes us such a great team that we don't have rely on any one person. But I think it's going to be scary once we all like have our best games on the same day. Um, there's, we're, we're a very focused team and when we're not focused, that's when we have slippages. Um, I think continuing to stay focused, sticking to our game plan, um, playing our style of basketball. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think that's going to be key for us. Obviously, you know, we've, we're, we're, we're first at the moment, but there's so much that can change leading into these last couple of weeks of, of regular season games. Um, and there's so much talent and so many great teams that, it, the, you know, the top, I guess, four or five really could go either way. So I think we still need to get better. We still need to fine tune um, offensively and defensively and, and prepare for how we're going to play these teams coming up. So 
yeah, I think it's, I think it's still, we're still getting better. We're, we're not, we're not content with where we're at right now. And that game against Crusaders perhaps was a bit of a circumstance of you, you caught the Crusaders on their best day and they <laughs> happened to catch you on one of your very rare, not best days. Are you allowed to give us a little bit of insight as to what Coach Kerwin said after the game? The key message after that, we were obviously super upset that game. And um, what made it worse was, um, well, it didn't make it worse, but I was um, had I went to an event with all of the Central Coast girls after the game and oh, that did not feel good going there. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I think the key message from that was a bit of a humbling moment and a bit of a reality check that we can't just think we're going to be able to show up and turn it on and beat teams. To your point, they absolutely had, they shot the lights out and they had one of their best games ever. And they're a team that can do that. Like they've got some really talented players and and so they, they, they have the ability to do that if we're not, you know, all locked in and focused on focused on our goal. But yeah, I think a bit of a reality check and I, I think that definitely showed there was a lift in intensity of our practice. And if in our game against the, the COE, we had a point to prove. So I don't necessarily think it was the worst thing in the world now, but at the time, oh Lord, it was uh, it was it was not fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really like the term loss you had to have, but a wake up call I think is a very good way of putting those losses. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was and and like I said, I, I think I don't think we're perfect. We're definitely we're far from perfect. And I think there's probably a few things bubbling that um had it gone unnoticed because we were winning and we were able to I guess shoot our way out of it um and find a way so I think the the loss was honestly a great thing for us and so how did that help you prep for COE the next week yeah so we we changed a few things defensively we switched up the way we were gonna be guarding on balls and started to practice a few different ways um in case we do come up against you know bigger bigger players because obviously we're all the same size we're not we're not huge and so i think we 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 figured out a way to um compensate for that and so we worked on it in training and you know, it was perfect game to play against play against the coe um but i think it was the the, the big thing that came away from that was and it was so Im- impressive was how um, invested and, and it showcased how invested we all are in this season. No one was happy after that game. Everyone, I think, had a chance to look in the mirror and say, I could have done X, Y, and Z better. I could have done this better. And so I think that naturally lifted all the intensity at training. We had a couple of really good uh, training days. Um, and I think we all just came way more hungry for the COE. Um, but yeah, I think a few things we could have done defensively. I think was that was the key takeaway as well. With finals being, you know, it's direct knockout. You lose. Doesn't matter if you finish first. You lose. You're gone. How how important is it to finish the regular season strongly and get those home finals and the best possible matchup? Yeah, it was interesting. So the finals is, uh, has changed since last year, and so I think it opens a lot more doors up with the one versus eight format. So I think what you're playing for now is home court advantage and we haven't lost at home. So it, to me, it, it means a lot and you always want to, you know, finish as high as you can. So, yeah, so I think the, the goal is definitely still to, you know, strive to, to be, to be first, but yeah, it's interesting. You, you, you have to, um, you have to really go into your finals in, in, in your best. And you always want to, you always want to peak at the end of the season. And I think that's, 
something that's quite exciting about our team is I really don't think we've actually peaked yet. So um, I think continuing to stay focused, being first is is so ideal. But again, like you mentioned, it's it's not the end of the world if it's if you end up at least in that top four because you'll get a you'll get um, a better draw moving forward to finals. Looking further afield. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you're a WNBL champion with the uh, UC Capitals. Any thoughts on heading, trying to get back to the WNBL? Uh, because looking from the uh, background, it seems you are pretty well set for work at the moment. Uh, are you just concentrating on the real world or are you trying to get back to uh, WNBL? Oh, I'd, I'd love to be playing WNBL again. Um, it was some of the best best times I had. I've made such great friends. I had um, was able to keep my body in such great shape. Being a full-time athlete was, was so much fun and I absolutely loved it. Um, but I'm on a different path at the moment. I'm, um, I'm doing both. I'm, I'm playing whilst, whilst full-time work and I absolutely love what I do and I love the, the progress I'm making at work and, um, the amount of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess rollover or, um, uh, things that, I've learned through my basketball career that um, relates into work is just it's it's insane and the team building the culture the the managing people everything is so relatable so it's it's been such a great experience to bring some of my um, my attributes from my playing career into my work life but no I'm I'm I'm, I'm yeah I'm I'm happy I'm I'm loving work I love the fact that I can do both and um, work on my career as well as my playing and and in just enjoying I'm having so much fun um, playing this season it's really brought the fun back into back into playing so as much as I'd love to be a full-time athlete and I say it all the time that it was some of the best days um, I'm on a, I'm on a different path now but I'm but I'm really enjoying it you can flex on us. What what are you doing for work nowadays? <laughs> I work at, I'm a big corporate girl. I work at Deloitte, one of the big four, doing uh, strategy consulting. Don't ask me what I do. I actually don't know what I do each day. <laughs> no, it's 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 good. It's helping helping solve problems, helping companies um, with their business problems. And so I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I have a great work friends um, who come and support. And they're so supportive of, of basketball. Sometimes I have to, you know, leave work early to get to to get to to get to training. And it's, uh, you know, working in, in a big four. It's not always acceptable. But uh, Deloitte's done such an amazing job of supporting me through that. So I I'm I'm very very lucky girl. I think Squint, Squint has a question she always asks everybody. But, uh... <laughs> oh no, maybe not. Perhaps the one that you're thinking this time, Lockie. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was more the point that Alex was saying about how she can transfer the skills, the life skills she learned from basketball into the corporate world. Then um, I was just going to make a cheeky side comment about how when you develop those skills through sport like teamwork and sound communication skills, when you get into the corporate uh, field or any kind of regular nine-to-five job where you have to collaborate with other adults, you can easily find the ones who didn't play team sports. <laughs> Oh, you're so spot on. It's so it's so fascinating to me, um, and you can pick it out of pick it out of a haystack. But oh, it's it's so important. The communication, like like communication, teamwork, the ability to work with others to achieve a goal, um, not just having to rely on yourself, but actually having to rely on other people to help you achieve what you want to achieve. It's so important. I cannot stress enough how how much my my 
my basketball career will help me not only now but in the future for my working career and there's a lot of people at work that have that have noted that as well so oh, I'd, I'd, team sport is just it's it's phenomenal what it can do for your for your life I'm so so lucky I've been able to play at a high level it's that reliability on others and understanding that you need to still do your job at your best because then it means someone else can do their job at their best and I work in uh, public health and the times where people just won't follow through on simple things can make a massive difference. People management skills, communication, teamwork, collaboration, even simple things as goal setting. Like I've had to goal set my entire basketball career. It's not common to do that early stage of your life if you're not playing sport. So um, yeah, I, I can see a lot of transfer of skills. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. We talked about your aspirations still to play in the WNBL, but in the last WNBL season, you got a bit of a taste of commentary. Yes, I did. I think you got to do one or two games with Nate Strample um, yes. when it was still being broadcast out of Sydney. Tell yeah. me what that was like and if you enjoyed it and if you would consider doing it again. I like. It's funny. When I started telling people I'd been asked to do uh, commentating everyone was like of course you'd be so great at that I was like really I'm so nervous the first time I did it I was so nervous um, but it's speaking I guess I'm lucky it comes quite naturally to me and so I think the fact that I knew a bunch of players i had only been a season out so I knew a lot of the teams and a lot of the systems came so naturally and after I did it I was like this could be something that I want to invest my time in or do it as a little side hustle. It's absolutely something that I'd love to do. So, um, yeah, watch watch this space. I might have to start investing in that now that you mention it because, yeah, I got some really good feedback as well. So commentating would be such a great way to stay close to the game. And, um, yeah, I just love basketball so much. So I uh, I definitely want to do more of it. It's, it's, it's such a cool experience. Nerve-wracking, but so much fun. Yeah, I also um, heard a lot of positive feedback, uh, whether it's through friends or peers or even some random people on Twitter gave you lots of positive feedback when you did those games. So it's I feel like it's certainly something you should consider when the time is right for you. And they're always looking for more female voices, especially to commentate female basketball. So you'll never be without a job. And considering your extensive playing history, you'd be a great um specialist commentator so yeah definitely keep it up your sleeve even a sideline commentator if you want to get in front of the camera I think there's certainly a pathway for you to stay in basketball in that way and it is a great way to stay involved with basketball when you're a retired player so to speak without having to resort to coaching yeah no oh, thank you that was so kind thanks Gwyn um yeah, it, it was, like I said, it was so much fun and I think you're exactly right. I definitely want to stay involved. So that I, I can't remember who asked me that, but I literally got asked this the other day. It was like, um, have you thought about doing your commentating like any further? I can't remember who it was, but I was like, yeah, I actually need to double, like circle back to that because I actually loved that experience. And um, yeah, I would, I would love to for that to be somewhere in my life at some point. What? Is it like playing against Brianna Stewart? Uh, honestly, such a pinch yourself moment, right? Like, seriously, one of the most I've cherished that moment for so much for like eternity. It was so cool. I mean, 
first and foremost, that UConn team was insane. Like I remember being out on the court and being like feeling so small and like, oh, my God, I don't, I can't actually like get past you. Like I couldn't, like I, can't, I don't understand how to get past you. They're all so massive and so quick. And it was such a cool experience. It was such a big stadium full of lots of people. It was a bit overwhelming, that's for sure. But sure enough, I can say I have scored a three-pointer over Brianna Stewart. So that is my absolute claim to fame. <laughs> um, but, yeah, oh, she's she's phenomenal. I literally fangirl her so hard. My parents were actually lucky enough to go and spend some time with the New York Liberty team um, a couple of weeks ago. Got to meet her and my mum was like, you actually played against my daughter, blah, blah, blah. Like she would have no idea who I am, but it's like, oh, she's so cool. I literally am her biggest fan. Her game is insane. She's like everything I want to be in a player. Um, and shout out to Gail, big fan of Gail Henderson. Um, <laughs> I did see those stories on your mum's Instagram of her time in New York and I was floored and I thought it was so great. There, the training um, yeah. stadium with Sandy in yeah. the gear. Oh, she fit right in. Oh, honestly, like dad always says, my mom has like the biggest FOMO and she would have been absolutely in her element, like talking to all the players. Like I remember her calling me the next day and being like, yeah, Alex, I just like spoke to Sabrina and Eskew for like 20 minutes. I was like, and you didn't think to FaceTime me? Like, and you didn't think to FaceTime me? How dare you? She's like, oh, I would have been in the middle of the night. I was like, oh my God, call me. I don't care. It's Sabrina. Like, and she was like, the players are all so nice and they treated me so so well and like they it was such a cool experience so I had FOMO because I was like there's nothing more I would have loved to do than go and hang out with the New York Liberty team for a couple of days but yeah they they so 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 lucky they were able to do that and so jealous. (laughs) Harking back to the actual game against Stewie was that your school's first conference championship and your first time in the NCAA tournament? Yeah first and and last because now we don't have a we don't have a, a athlete athletic program but yeah, we it was our first our first conference win. I remember it so vividly. Um, we were actually fifth, so no one thought we were going to win. And then we won our um, quarterfinal. Um, can't remember who it was against, but I remember our semifinal because my mom actually surprised me at the game, and it went into overtime. And then we just went on. We just kept winning, and we always knew we were better than what we'd kind of been. Similar to what I was saying before, you always want to peak like right at the end of your season, and that's exactly what happened. Um, it was such a cool experience going to the NCAA, NCAA tournament, playing against UConn. Like, couldn't have asked for a better freshman year, really. And remember, Stewie is just as human as the rest of us because last year at the FIBA Women's World Cup, Lockie and I were walking across the road. Uh, in in Sydney Olympic Park, and there was Brianna Stewart and her little family eating chips on a stick Love on the way that. back to their hotel room. That was one of the highlights of the tournament, <laughs> just seeing Brianna Stewart just like a regular pleb, like everyone else eating chips on a stick. That was, I tweeted it. <laughs> seeing her in her natural habitat. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, hey, she's just like the rest of us, maybe makes a few more three-pointers and yeah. a few more championships and Thing, yeah, but uh, she still eats chips on a stick like everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. She's something special, that's for sure. Alex, just to finish off, we'll ask you some questions about your teammates just to end on a light note. So tell me, in your current Manly team, who is the worst person at replying to text messages? 
I I don't know. I don't. Everyone's quite. Everyone's quite good with their phone on our. They're all young. They're all. They're all like so young. They're always on their phone. Um, I could plug this though. I could my. I'd probably say the one the person that doesn't call me is my sister. I'm always calling her. She never calls me. <laughs> um. If I was in a crisis and I knew one person wasn't going to message me back, though, I wouldn't. I I don't think I could. I we're all really good with our phone. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I don't have any. I don't. I couldn't answer that question. No, that's okay. That's a tricky one uh, to answer straight off the top. Um, how about when you're on a long road trip with the team? Who's the person that brings out the best playlist for the bus or the car? Uh, that would be Bree. Yeah, she was. She's she's very into music. I trust her. She she does our um should do our like game list on the way to the game. Yeah, she's 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 all that. I trust her with my life with music. Fliss also plays plays music um on in our warm ups as well. So she, she she does she does a pretty good job at that as well. So lately we've been on a bit of a country train like last year I was on my my um my punk rock train and I'd like listen to good Charlotte before every game and then this year it's been country it's like Morgan Wallen whiskey glasses has been being absolutely um getting slammed um but I would also then say yeah anything between like right now country punk rock and um R&B on the way to the game Hip hop, R and B, hip hop, anything Kanye on the way to the game, yeah. A wide taste of music. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that is quite varied. Um, but look, catering, catering for everyone, whatever gets you in the hype mode for the game. <laughs> Literally, no judgment. Um, who in your team is most likely to forget their shoes on the day of the grand final? Well, Sari forgot her singlet when we played against the Central Coast. So I'm going to go with Sari. Sari or Maya, they've, one of them always seems to forget something. So did Sari in that situation just have to use the blood singlet or did she yeah. kind of just not play because she didn't bring a singlet? <laughs> it, was so, it was so lucky, actually. We had a spare singlet. Um, so, yeah, we, she was lucky. But because they can't wear their it – it's all because of their Youth League singlets. Like they, their Youth League ones are different to the – um nbl one one so yeah that's probably why i'll let her off the hook with not being just completely forgetful we have a fine system now though so if you feel let get uh leave anything behind you it's i think it's two dollars in our in our little fine kitty so everyone's been very good lately with not forgetting anything I think that's a pretty big buck. Two, $2 for forgetting something is a pretty cheap fine because I know that some fines for, you know, getting fouled off in some teams or getting a tech can be pretty heavy. Um, I would put I would put on equal playing field forgetting like your shoes or singlet next to getting fouled yeah. off. Actually, I don't think we have one for forgetting shoes. I need to add that. <laughs> we have one for unsportsmanlike, tech foul, yeah, all of those. So best of luck for the rest of the season and thanks heaps for jumping on and it um, sounds like you've got a very close-knit um, squad that care a lot about each other on and off the court and I think that's going to take your team all the way perhaps. Yeah, we look forward to perhaps talking to you again sometime. No worries, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was lots of fun. So um, I love what you guys are doing. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of East Got Game an unofficial podcast about the NBL One East competition for 2023. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you choose. And remember, 
Don't sleep on the yeast. <laughs>